My name is Brock, and this is the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. On today's episode, I talk to Mike from Unmade Gaming. We talk a lot about improv and tools that you can use to narrate your scenes and talking about the audience and moving around the camera, things like that. He also has a neat travel mechanic that he uses that lets players have a little bit of input in this kind of travel montage. We talk about the dreaded metagaming and how he thinks narratively about some of these things. Then towards the end of the episode, we talk about the 10-minute backstory and the campaign primer. So two insanely cool tools that he uses to both get his characters set up and then the campaign primer especially has some cool questions in terms of setting the style and tone of a campaign so that players can then build characters that would fit into that world. With that, let's get into the episode. Welcome, everybody. I've got Mike from Unmade Gaming with me today. Welcome, Mike. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Awesome to have you here, Mike. Why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you got into tabletop role-playing games? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, as as was said, my name is Mike. I run things over at Unmade Gaming. We are a, uh, man, what are we? We are a tabletop role-playing game content production company. I wonder if I could add more words to that. Um, <laughs> we do everything from actual plays to YouTube videos to podcasts to uh, written blogs to written modules and all kinds of things. So if it's in a tabletop game, there's a chance that we probably can do it. Uh, which is pretty cool. Um, And as for me, I uh, got into tabletop games in high school uh, when a buddy of mine came up to me and said, hey, man, you play a lot of games like Final Fantasy and you're, you know, into that kind of thing. Would you like to play D&D? And I said, absolutely not. That game is for nerds. Uh, And here we are, uh, like 15 plus years later, uh, I own a business that does things like D&D. So... (laughs) So how did that, uh, how did you eventually get hooked in then? Uh, he pestered me. Um, and then, uh, we played 3.5, uh, and, um, we played in the Paizo campaign Age of Worms, which is in the, uh, Dungeon Magazine, uh, from back in the day. Um, and I played a, I played a half-elf sorcerer who prestige class as a half-dragon, and I could breathe fire and fly, and I was like, all right, well, this game's not that bad. And uh, what do you find yourself playing or running most often these days? Um, everything but D and D. I more often than not I play uh, games by the company Free League. Um, so they have Alien, they have Mutant Year Zero, they have Tales from the Loop, they have Coriolis. They just launched the One Ring. Um, they have a bunch of games. Um, I'm a huge fan of that company. Everything they put out. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Monty Cook games, uh, and I'm a huge fan of Son of Oak. They're the people who do um, uh, City of Mist, and they just finished their Kickstarter for a new game called Queers. Seen some stuff on City of Mist. I've I've read part of the rulebook, but I don't. I haven't played it. Yeah. Um, and I was on your channel a little bit looking around, and I saw you also had some Cypher System stuff as well. Yeah, yeah, from Monica Games. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I, I got, I got, uh, I have some Cypher System stuff. I have some stuff from like their different variations of Cypher. We have some Numenero. We have some Gods of the Fall. We have, uh, yeah, we have all kinds of stuff from them. Favorite. Yeah, they are pretty awesome. 
Um, do you have a, a, a certain one that you really find yourself being drawn back to more often? Uh, ooh, I would say probably most things by Free League, uh, but if I had to pick one, uh, probably Tales from the Loop, um, which is essentially Stranger Things, the tabletop game. Got it. I haven't, I've, I think I've heard the name, but I haven't looked too deep into that, but I have watched all of the Stranger Things episodes, so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Uh, it, it is. It is more like Stranger Things than the D and D Stranger Things box set. Um, you play uh, kids in the eighties, um, but it's an alternate '80s where uh, in your town there is a government facility called the Loop, and weird stuff happens. Um, so, if that doesn't sound like the plot of every '80s kid kids movie, um, I'm not sure what does. And that fits right in with the Stranger Things setting yep. as well. So. Cool. Yeah. Um, what do you have any uh, any tips that you have for just running games in general? Ooh, just running games in general. Um, yeah. You know what? I I I do have a tip. Um, I mean, I have lots of tips, but I have I have one in particular. Um, improv. Right. So we all know that improv is a big deal and we all do it. Uh, but improv is like a big, scary monster in the closet where some people are like afraid to improv and some people have to over prep because they, quote unquote, can't improv. Uh, I used to railroad um, like a son of a gun um, until about 2015 when I started the channel. Uh, and I said, you know what? I want to get better at improv. So I'm going to actively not prep a whole campaign and I'm going to barely prep a session. I'm going to write like at most 10 bullet points um, that are one sentence a piece and that's it. Uh, and now I can improv an entire three, four hour session off a couple of ideas in my head. Um, so I think just fully immersing yourself in improv, uh, like, like uh, that polar bear plunge, just jump right in there. Uh, I think that is one of the best ways to jump into improv and really just, you know, take the water wings off. When you started, did you do a lot of prep up front to begin with then? Oh yeah, for sure. I had, I used to write out like a, a brain map of the campaign ideas. Um, I had like a railroad. I would like literally build a railroad. <laughs> like we go here, then they go to this town then they fight this bad guy. Um, so there was like little, I, I prepped so much that it was, it was a novel that had other people's opinions in it. Um, so uh, I, I took a, a hard left and uh, went full on improv. Uh, and now when people are like, I have no idea what's going to happen next in the campaign, I can confidently go, me neither. Uh, <laughs> and that, that's got to really cut down on the time you spend outside of a session then too, right? Because you're just, you throw some bullet points down and then the rest of it is just on the fly. Yeah, for real. I, I, I maybe spend, oh man, I maybe spend an hour prepping a, a session, uh, if that. Um, I, I, I average... Um, uh, I try to do I try to do a rule of three. So I try to have three bullets that describe what because ha- I, I like to do it previously on. So like every good every good TV show starts with previously on. Um, so I do three bullets for that, uh, going over what we what happened last time, uh, and then I do three scenes uh, in in the the episode or session, and then in each scene I have one I have three bullet points. 
Um, and that's it. I have a, a total of nine bullet points about the session and a title of the episode, and I roll with that. And sometimes I don't even get that far. I, I have I have run a uh, three-hour session with uh, with three bullets uh, in one scene, and I was just like, all right, we'll see where we'll see where it goes. So you mentioned episodes. So do you kind of structure your campaign in a way, or or like when you're thinking about the campaign as a whole, do you think about it as each session is just like this week's episode of this campaign. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I, I call my, uh, my seasons, oh, sorry. I call my campaigns, either they have seasons or they have arcs. Um, and I call my sessions episodes, uh, and I start all of them, uh, with previously on, and then I do a recap. I think that makes a lot of sense. And I've read some game master advice in various books that say, to think about it like a TV show, because that's kind of it's not a hundred percent what you're going for, but it has a lot of this a similar feel to what a TV show would have, and kind of that long form with like intense action in each um, session. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I I feel like it helps kind of frame things uh, because for me, my style is uh, is is more cinematic to the point where I refer to the audience as um as a a like third party omniscient being um and the audience is both when we have a live audience but also anyone not directly in that scene right so if it's a scene between just two characters the other two players at the table or three players or how many of you have are the audience um so i will refer to the audience uh and i will refer to uh actual camera moves so I'll say like okay, the camera as as the party walks away, the camera zooms in and pans behind them towards the tavern and blah blah blah. And I narrowed a scene uh, where the players aren't even involved; they're kind of off camera. But now the characters, or sorry, the characters are off scene. But now the players know something else happened after they left. It's one of those uh, tools that TV shows or movies a lot of times like to use to create suspense, right? Because the yeah. the heroes will do something and they'll be walking off and it'll pan over and you'll see, you know, a creature or, you know, a timer or something right in the background that now the audience is aware of it, but the players aren't, uh, aren't aware yet. So yeah. there's a little yeah. bit of tension there. Yeah. I love those moments. Those like narrative asides. Um, I will often have moments where like the players leave and they, uh, the camera stays, uh, as as it were, and you know, we we see something else, or like the the party leaves, and a week later, we're back in the place they just left, and one of the bad guys is there, and he's really upset that they won, um, something like that. It's it's one of those moments where, like, in a, I'm thinking of, um, like the Star Wars TV shows now, but you always you always see both sides of the story usually, right? You see the heroes, but then you see the little clips in the scenes where the villains are talking about their plans or these things and you don't always get the full picture yeah as to what they're talking about um yep. but you do see that other side of it so you know that this uh the heroes and the villain are on a colliding path at some point yeah exactly yeah i, I and i love moments like that because now uh now the players are aware that like oh the bad guy like the the big bad found out that we killed his lieutenant in these old ruins and now he's pissed about it. So like the players know that and they're like, oh crap, what are we going to do? And that guy finally finds us. Um, but now the characters have no idea. So they just kind of go off completely oblivious as, as heroes often do. Are your players pretty good at kind of separating the audience knowledge from the character knowledge? 
Um, yeah, usually, uh, usually they are. Um, I have a I have a very weird relationship when it comes to uh, metagaming, right? Uh, in that I mostly don't care. Um, like as long as you're not metagaming to remove the fun of anybody uh, or or pretending like you have more information than you actually have, right? Um, you're trying to role play as though you have more information than you have. Because um, oftentimes I, I encourage my players to say, hey, look, if you want uh, this specific thing to happen in the game, tell me. And then we'll talk about it and I'll make it happen, right? So like if you want a specific scene with a specific character, let me know and I'll make that happen. So like to some people that's considered metagaming because you're manipulating the, the story. But at the same time, I, I'm here to tell a good story. And if, if you having that scene tells a better story, I'm all for it. Well, and it is a, it is a collaborative, you know, story game exactly. anyways. Right. Yeah. And, and I think to some degree people can fall into the, category as a dm where it's like this is my story and you're going through my story mm -hmm. and you're interacting with it but it's like my story right versus everybody is writing the story at the same time you just happen to be in control of more of the npcs and the monsters and the enemies than the players are yes 100 percent. i i tend to not be super concerned about metagaming either especially when it comes down to little little things like do the players know how much health this monster has or something like it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't really bother me i guess if they know because i guess the the suspense to me is not knowing that it's got 3 hit points left it's you know i don't know it just doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal yeah yep i agree I agree. I, I know there's a, a big dis, uh, a big discourse going on right now about uh, uh, over on like the the Twitters and whatever about uh, people not using actual hit points for their monsters, uh, and like ninety percent of the time I'm in that camp where I don't I I, I leave a monster on the field uh, for as long as as it's narratively cool, right? Which is usually about three rounds before it starts to get boring, unless it's like some kind of boss. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm in the camp of of uh, numbers are imaginary. Just have fun and play the game. So do you um, remove them when there's a narratively cool, like either the killing blow or some awesome attack, then that's when they get wiped out? Or how do you how do you handle that? Yeah, more or less. Um, like, you know, if if somebody is like, oh, I hit him with my axe, I, I hit him with my sword, right? Okay, sure, we'll do that. But if someone like jumps is like, I want to jump on this table and I swing across the chandelier and I, 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 I swing and I cut his head off and I rolled a 19 and I'm like, yeah, that, yeah, you did. You did all the things you said. That was awesome. Um, that was super cool. Uh, you were excited about it, right? I don't, I don't want to end a combat on like, oh yeah, I, uh, guess I just shoot a fireball at him or whatever. Like if, if you don't care about the combat, there shouldn't be a combat. In the D and D games that I've been a part of, I've had a number of com uh, combats and when somebody does a massive amount of damage to a creature and you're like, nope, it's still up. And then the next person comes by and is like, I do four damage and then yeah. they kill it. <laughs> Yeah, it's very <laughs> anticlimactic. Exactly. Super, super boring. Like you had someone do this like massive hit of like 25 damage. Like that was so cool. And one guy's like, oh, yeah, he only has one hit point left. I'm like, why? Why does he have one hit point left? That's that's so narratively disappointing to just be like, all right, well, I just blow on him and he dies. So, all right. End of combat, I guess. So that actually kind of answers one of the questions I was going to ask about your low prep 
was how do you prep stats uh, for monsters? But it sounds like you just kind of use the the narrative side of things for the monsters. Yeah. So I, I, uh, my my philosophy continues into combat where I don't like combat's my least favorite thing in tabletop games. Uh, so I only put it in there when it's narratively applicable, right? Like I don't like random roll tables. Um, I, I have I have a, an entire travel mechanic that basically avoids random roll tables, um, and uh, so unless there's like a, 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 a bad guy or a, some kind of encounter that is keeping you from the goal, uh, I'm not going to have a, a combat just for the sake of combat. So most of the time, uh, the combat has like a theme, right? Like it's bandits or it's thugs or it's you know undead or whatever it is, right? And we've all seen bandits, we've all seen thugs, we've all seen, you know, uh, soldiers, we've all seen zombies. We have an idea of what they do. And at the end of the day, again, numbers are arbitrary. So I'm like, okay, well, the zombie hits you for know, six damage. Uh, and uh, yeah, you take six damage. And then now all those other zombies also do six damage. Um, it's one of the things I love about um, Cypher System is that you have three categories of weapon, um, light, medium, and heavy, and they do two, four, and six damage, or two, four, and eight damage, and that's it. Doesn't matter what, what light weapon you have, it does two damage. Doesn't matter what medium weapon you have, it does four damage. Um, so it, it takes away that, like, uh, that, that need to, like, focus on, on like, mid-maxing or anything like that. And it makes it way easier to, like, prep stats uh, for monsters. I'm a fan of, uh, there's some other games that do similar things where they tone down the amount of variety that you have, but then your weapons are differentiated by like, well, what could you do with this? Can you throw a battle axe? Probably not. Can mm-hmm. you throw a dagger? Yes. You know, so you get getting down to more of the narratively and common sense. What can you do with this item versus technically having a mechanical thing that it does? Absolutely. Yeah. I want to encourage, um, and, and I, I do when I have new players, uh, but I want to encourage you to think narratively. Um, I, I often say that I'm the worst at teaching people how to play tabletop games, um, because I'm not a teacher. Uh, I, I'm not a, uh, nothing we do is, is, uh, learn how to play. Um, but my, my philosophy, anytime I have a new player at my table is let's sit down, let's make your character. Um, you tell me what you want to do. Explain to me what you want to do, how you want to do it, and I will tell you what to roll. Because uh, I, it's my job as the GM, that I I know a bunch of the rules. So I'm not going to expect you to read a tome of rules. You tell me what narratively cool thing your character wants to do, and I will tell you what to roll. Um, and that applies like to from new players to anyone, right? That's just how I teach new players. Um, so I encourage all of my players at my table to do the same. Boil all RPGs down to that basic mechanic you might be rolling different dice or looking for different you know results or combinations of results but that's really the core thing in pretty much all tabletop games i agree but i think a lot of people like fall away from that um and get too focused on the numbers right um and i i try to lean in the opposite direction where i'm not worried about the numbers uh i'm just i'm here to tell a good story it's a level of crunch that people like and people well, especially with like video games too, a lot of video games focus on like all these abilities and different boosts and stuff that you can get. And a lot of the tabletop games also kind of fall into that. Like here's mm-hmm. a bunch of things that add modifiers or extra damage or whatever. And, and 
And if people enjoy doing those builds and stuff, then that's great. Right. Exactly. And uh, yeah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to knock anybody. That's just not how I run my table. Um, so in the, in the same way that I'm not going to, you know, uh, you know, poo poo on anyone else's game. Um, when it's, when it's my table, when it's where I'm, I'm running things, uh, that's how I do it. I would like to hear more about this travel mechanic that you mentioned. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a, it's a very simple, uh, narrative travel mechanic that I have no idea where I stole it from. Um, but it is, uh, so in in most in most games that I've played and run, travel is an inconvenient truth. Um, we have to go from A to B. Uh, let's roll a random encounter. Let's fight this monster for no real reason other than we need something to do. Um, so I cut out the middleman. Again, I, I run my games like a like a TV show. And how often do you just see a travel montage in a TV show? Never. You see them leave. You see maybe an important scene on the road, and then you see them arrive. Um, so my travel mechanic is that same thing. Uh, what I do is I go around the table, uh, and I say, you tell me, you have complete narrative control, you tell me one thing that happened to set back the party, uh, and you tell me how you handled it. Um, and then that, whatever they say happens. Um, and sometimes I may add some flair on top of it, uh, and then we move to the next person and whatever they say happens and then so on and so forth until we're, we're done. I really like that idea. It's pretty streamlined, but then you also are getting the players to have some control in the story as well. Yeah, it's super, super simple. Um, and sometimes it's it's as simple as like, oh, it rained. Uh, we actually just had this happen in, in one of our, other, our our recent games where someone said, oh, it's it's uh, it's raining. Um, and because I'm f- um, familiar with the area, I am able to find like an outcropping uh, where we can uh, hide away under the rain. Uh, and I was like, okay, cool. In this part of the area, you know that uh, sometimes the, the the weather is cursed and the rain is actually acid rain. So you have to take refuge under this, you know, um, uh, outcropping of rocks and blah, blah, blah. And then the other, other narrative happened because of it, because they said it started to rain, which meant now they bedded down in the woods, which allowed me to have like a narrative dream sequence with one of the characters, all based off of this travel mechanic that someone said oh yeah it rained today (laughs) so i can i can really see the like tv show aspects coming in with this have you ever had them come up with something that was just super off the wall uh, all the time, uh, all the time. Uh, and if, if you ever, if you ever watch any of my content, it's very telling. Cause I go, okay. Um, Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, let's, let's, uh, and I just use a lot of filler words while my brain is processing how the hell to improv around whatever nonsense they just did. Um, but yeah, (laughs) more more training on the improv side of things then. Yeah. That's my, that's my thing is like, once you, once you start improv, right? Like once you get comfortable enough to, to like largely incorporate improv into your tabletop, everything becomes an opportunity to expand at improv. Did you do any research or reading or watch any type of videos on specifically how to improv? Or did you mainly just dive in and just start doing the improv? The latter, for sure. I just dove in and started doing the latter. I just started doing improv. I, I, uh, yeah, I, I just delved deeply into it. And, and what I would do is I would, I wouldn't. So a lot of people will prep like a couple sessions or like prep a little bit of story. I will not prep the next episode until the 
current episode happens. So if we have episode one, I have no idea what's going to happen to episode two because episode two is going to be directly based off of the events in episode one, right? Like usually when I'm doing a campaign, I have a vague idea of like, I know how it starts. Uh, I have a vague notion of like what I would like the ending to be. And then I have a few like, uh, I, I usually like go through my characters' backstories uh, and I pick out a few notes to say like, okay, it'd be cool if like this person's uh, long lost brother was alive and they come back and is a bad guy. And I know that's a, that's a thing. I have no idea where that's going to happen, when that's going to happen or how. I just know that'd be a cool scene to have. So let's keep that in my back pocket for something cool. For backstories for players, do you have them write something specific uh, like for the type of game that you're going to play? Or do you just say, here, just bring your characters and they just kind of come with whatever? What's that process like? I encourage heavily <laughs> that my players um, write something specific. Uh, I have them use uh, what's called the 10-minute background or 10-minute backstory. Uh, I found it on Google, um, so I encourage everyone to do the same. Um it is uh, a number of questions. Uh, I can't remember the top off my uh, off the top of my head. Um, it definitely takes more than ten minutes. Uh, but it's like name a couple of quirks about your character, or or name some things that like are very important to your character. Um, create uh, three NPCs. Two of them are friendly NPCs. One of them is a non-friendly NPC. Um, create two secrets about your character. One that your character knows and one that is a secret about your character that they do not know, and the GM will create another char- another secret that neither you nor your character know. So it's things like that, right? So usually I comb through backstories, um, and uh, I, I incorporate those elements into the the, the plots of, of the campaigns. Backstories are a little bit more unified, at least in terms of you kind of know what details you're getting about a player. It's not like a three-page backstory that's just a bunch of random information. Yeah, so what I'll do is I'll say, hey, if you're going to write a backstory, I'd like for you to do the 10-minute backstory. Uh, And then if you want to write a 10-page novel, go for it. Uh, I will promise to read the 10-minute backstory, and I will incorporate the things in there into the campaign, and I will do my best to get to your novel if I have time. (laughs) Yeah, it's hard because some players really want to write that huge backstory, but sometimes it's not always as actionable as like this having those specific things where you can easily grab NPCs and start weaving together, Mm -hmm. you know, your overall campaign. There's a lot of good hooks there. Mm -hmm. Do you, for your campaigns, do you have like a, a campaign limit or like a set number of sessions or episodes or whatever, where you say, okay, we're going to start here. And then by episode 10 or 20, that's when we're going to complete the arc. Um, so for my live streams, yes. For home games, no. Uh, home games run until we're done <laughs> or, uh, or or until everyone's schedule changes because we're adults or until no one wants to play anymore. Um, but for my live streams, we do a 12-episode session. Uh, or sorry, a 12-episode campaign. And then are those episodes kind of broke out into like different acts or like mini arcs or anything or is it just a straight Um, just kind of depends on what happens yeah it depends on what happens um for me no i don't break them out into arcs um usually the the 12 episodes is the arc um and if people like the show we'll renew it for a second season um and then a new arc happens uh with the same characters um 
other GMs, because we do have other GMs on the channel, they may do something slightly differently. Um, uh, but by and large, yeah, we try to stick to a 12, uh, a six or 12 week uh, schedule. Uh, we do the six weeks towards the end of the year when it's like the holidays and it's a pain to schedule people. Um, but yeah, we've, we've had some, some pretty good, uh, some pretty good results of that. We actually have one, one of our shows is going on its fourth season. Um, another show is going on its third season and another show is going on its third season in 2022, I think. Nice. So you've got, you've got a decent number of continuing shows then. Yeah. Yeah. We've had shows go on for four ish. I think four is our max so far, but yeah, we definitely have, um, some shows that have like 30 plus episodes on, uh, on our YouTube, um, uh, we've been running, we've been running a, a game of Coriolis, uh, one of those free league properties, um, for since before the pandemic, um, we, we play for 12 weeks and then we take a break and play for 12 weeks. Um, it has like fan art. We, we did a, uh, we did a, a crowdfunding for it for a third season. Um, we actually have like a live action video we shot for it. Yeah. It was crazy. Practically, uh, an eternity ago now. I know, that's, yeah. That's, that's forever <laughs> internet years. <laughs> Um, how many people do you have at Unmade that are helping with content and DMing and stuff? Oof. Uh, so that's a complicated question. Uh, how many people work at Unmade Gaming? One. Uh, how many people uh, GM and are in the cast and are in the community? A bunch. Um, so we have a rotating cast of people. Um, uh, so we try to gather cast members from the vast uh outreaches of the internet um we do have a bunch of people who are like uh mainstays um we have like uh nomadic is is, is prolific prolific on the channel little red dot as well um they've been they've been on the channel for years at this point um and then we do have a uh community manager uh in our discord um kind of doing that uh she's also like our top mod for our our streams and that kind of thing uh but other than that it's it's mostly content creation is primarily down to me and freelancers like i try to hire out freelancers for art um for some of our like trailer videos i hire out freelancers for that kind of stuff um we did a podcast and obviously i hired out the editor um so officially there's one employee but unofficially there's a bunch of freelance work i am i'm not at the point where i can hire out my editing but i would like to do that at some point <laughs> right <laughs> you've played a lot of different systems it sounds like mm -hmm. are there any systems that you haven't yet gotten a chance to play that you would like to try Ooh, um good question um i mean i know that i have a bunch of uh systems that i'm going to try um like i'm, I'm waiting for the I, I have the alpha version of uh the one ring uh second edition uh that just came out i know that there's a new um Oh, what the heck's it called? My brain just turned off. Uh, it's, um, oh God, Harrison Ford fights robots in the future. Um, Blade Runner, a new Blade Runner <laughs> game just got announced. Uh, so I'm very excited to check that out. Um, uh, I want to play the new um, Power Rangers game that just got announced by Renegade. Uh, they also have a G.I. Joe game that looks kind of cool. Um yeah, I mean, any anything that that pops up and uh, is, I don't know, nostalgic or or just like a just like from a cool company. Uh, like I, I saw what is it? Um, Cobalt Press just uh, did a sneak peek for their upcoming new Kickstarter. 
um, which is a, a, a book called The Book of Ebon Tides, which uh, we have very little information about. It's something to do with, like, the Plains of Shadow, but it looks cool, and I'm like, oh, I'll play that. Yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of all over the place when it comes to games. It's whatever I can find a cast for or find someone else to run for me. Yes, uh, getting in, uh, getting somebody else to run a game is usually nice, too, especially if it's something you haven't played before. Yeah. And nowadays it seems like there's like 50 kickstarters for a new tabletop game so it's hard to keep up with getting time to play and getting all the new books and all that fun stuff absolutely yeah yeah and i i I had to uh i had to back down my kickstarter habit because it was it was pretty it was pretty egregious uh i definitely have an entire box of books that i've never opened because i was like this looks really cool and then just never (laughs) never did anything with it yeah, I I luckily have I've always get the itch to to back stuff on Kickstarter, and then I'm always like, oh, I just don't know if I if I'm gonna drop money on that. I the like one thing that I've actually kickstarted was the second printing of Gloomhaven, and that unfortunately oh, yeah. uh, sits in my closet yeah. uh, for long amounts of time. So yeah, that is the that is the curse right there. Yeah, that one in itself, it's uh. It's a big box, and it takes a long time to set up and tear down when you want to play. So it's a little bit of a barrier to entry there. Yeah, I I can imagine. I I have never, uh, thankfully, I have never gotten huge on the board game train. So I don't. Like, I have a friend that had uh, he had like two whole bookshelves just full of board games, and I was like, oh man, that's a lot. Then I look at my two bookshelves full of D and D books or tabletop books. And I'm like, ah, that's fine. You know, board games. You're buying the book and and the pieces. You know, with tabletop you're usually just buying the book and maybe miniatures exactly and if you're if you're clever about it you can kind of buy the pdf and just you know tuck that away <laughs> not have to worry about everything else right so it doesn't look like you have a massive collection but you've got you know your cloud storage filled with, oh, yeah. with pdf oh, for sure i may have a bookshelf full of books but i have i have three or four times as many pdfs i've tried to watch one of your streams a little bit ago but i've been super busy yeah. um but when you're running games, do you tend to use like maps or anything, or do you like to focus on theater of the mind? I am primarily theater of the mind. Um, and there's no big philosophy there. I'm just lazy. Um, so what it comes down to is I didn't want to find a map and then have to find who made it and then be like, Hey, can I use this? And I didn't want to commission a map and I didn't want to make one myself. So I just said, ah, just use your, use your mind. It's free. I suppose if you are running them on stream, you have slightly different, um, requirements in terms of getting permission from map creators to use them. Yes, we we try. I mean, there was that Wild West time of the internet where everyone was just like, I found this on Google and I'm putting it on my, my stuff. Um, but, you know, I, I, I especially try to shy away from that um, because, one, uh, that's the right thing to do. Uh, and, two, because I'm a company. So I, I should especially not uh, try to steal work. Uh, so usually any art that's on the screen is... Um, is uh, either uh, a fr- I, I hired a freelancer for it, or I've asked for permission from the artist uh, to use it. And that that makes sense, especially when you can monetize streams and stuff. It's right. it's just, it's that thing is as soon as you start accepting money or could potentially be making money from it, it gets a little bit more complicated than it was before. Exactly. Exactly. Is there something about uh, game mastering that you wish you would have known earlier? 
Ooh. Um, hmm. Something about game mastering that I wish I would have known earlier. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not scary. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not scary. Uh, and your, uh, your, your players should have, whew, man, how do I want to word that? Your players should have almost as much control over the story as the GM. Um, I think, I think it should be like 90, like, like, if if you have twenty six percent and everyone else has twenty four point whatever, that's what it should be, right? Like it should be almost equal across the board as as who gets the story. As the GM, you just have a bunch more stuff going on with like NPCs and uh, combats and all these other. So there's things your players can't have narrative control over. But um, I think that the the that's one of the reasons why I love improv is because I I I like I said before, I genuinely do not know what's going to happen next next week. Uh, until whatever happens this week happens, because I base everything that's going to happen next week off of what you did this week. Um, so it makes it, it, it drives home that, that like, this is, I, I'm, I'm reacting to the game. Um, so yeah, I guess, I guess if I could sum it up, that'd be, that'd be that, uh, react more, <laughs> plan less, react more. It really seems like you are trying to put yourself almost, almost into like a, a glorified player role where like you're trying to tone back on the amount of stuff that you're in charge of so that you can also kind of be a player. You just have different responsibilities at the table, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and I often encourage players to do do the heavy lifting. So like if I, you know, if, if they say, you know, I'm looking for an inn in the town and I go, oh, you know what? I didn't, I didn't plan for an inn. Uh, so I'm not going to tell you no, right? I'm going to yes and I'm going to improv into that. I'm going to say, yeah, there's an inn in the town. Uh, you see an inn uh, down the street. It's a, it's a two-story inn uh, with a faded sign on the front. What does the sign look like and what is the inn called? Um, and players are like, oh, I get to... I get to jump in and make story happen. Okay, cool. What's what's the what? It's called this. And I'm like, okay, yep, that's what it's called. It's called the Sleeping Bear. Let's go. You're into the Sleeping Bear Inn now. Um, so it's, it kind of adds that extra layer that that gives uh, players that additional buy-in because they helped make the world. Right. That's one of the things that I've taken from some of the Powered by the Apocalypse games mm -hmm. um, is to delegate some of that information off to the players because it it. You have a lot of stuff going on as a DM that you have to keep track of. So any of those things that you can just, hey, what's this? You know, you, you tell me, it's just make it believable, you know, yeah. then they can have some of the cognitive load this time. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, and I love that. Like, why? Why not? Like, if you, OK, yeah, you wanted this place. Let's go for it. Um, like I just had a player reach out to me the other day in a game and they said, Hey, before the session, when we go to town, uh, would it be possible if there was like a, a safe, a safe, like in, uh, or Haven that like, they know my character. Um, so they're not going to be, they're not going to like rat us out. And I was like, yeah, well, let's do that. So they asked for that. So I made that happen. And then I, as a GM, I can take and put my little twists on it. Um, so yeah, so it's always fun to include your your players in the, in the planning of the game. And when you go back to like the like you're coming up with a new um, season of something, do you include them? Do you like pitch them a game like here's a high seas adventure that we're going to do, or do you kind of go to them and say, hey, what like we're gonna we're gonna kind of build out the um, the season together from the start? What's kind of that process? Um. 
yes, I guess is the short answer. Yes, I do both. Um, so we're trying to make it uh, uniform across the board, uh, but we do have a um, oh, what the hell do we call it? It's not a pitch document, but it's it's a it's a document um, uh, for every campaign. Uh, usually, what we say is, "Hey, do you want to play in this campaign, uh, this game? Here's the style, whatever." And then we get players for it, and then we make this document. Uh, and in the document. Um, actually, you know what? Let me, let me pull up my document. So yeah, so we call it the campaign primer. Um, and so I have a template for the campaign primer, uh, and it starts with, um, your campaign synopsis. Uh, and I say, I say write in bold letters for the GM, because I give these out to the GMs to fill out. It says this should give enough detail to let your players know what they should expect in the campaign and set some general tones. Um, then I ask for any kind of content warnings. Um, if there's like, you know, excessive violence, if there's gore, if there's like body horror, if there's anything like that, put that all out there. Um, and then I say, if you were to give your campaign, um, a movie rating, like R, you know, G, PG-13, what would it be? Um, and why? Uh, and then if you were to pick a Hollywood director for your campaign, who would it be? Right? Like, it's one thing to say, hey, I want to run a... Uh, a, a game where we're all wood elves and you're part of like a resistance movement fighting back against like the empirical the, the imperial uh, human empire right like okay that sounds pretty cool uh, but then when you say I want to run that game and it's directed by Quentin Tarantino you're like oh okay that's a very different game than what I was picturing let's go let's do that that's crazy um, versus like uh, it's directed by like Martin Scorsese you're like okay well that's a very slow game this is a very slow political game okay I get it um, so I feel like that, that kind of draw, that kind of evokes, uh, some kind of scene or, or idea of what it is. Um, and then in our document, we actually have, um, we have safety tools built right into the document where we have lines and veils, um, which if you guys haven't used safety tools before, lines are lines we do not cross, uh, and veils are, um, the easiest way to put it is like anytime there's a romance scene in Dragon Age where the screen you, the screen kind of fades to black. Uh, we know what's happening, but we don't actually expressly go over it. Um, and then I have a, a, a page called the player documentation where the players put like their character name and what their character concept is. Um, and then I have uh, another page where the players can put like what they as a player want out of the game. Like, do you want to do, like, if you know we're doing a mystery game, right? Do you want to do a like, good cop, bad cop scene? Um, do you want to have, like, the rough and tumble, uh, you know, uh, big city chief, right, uh, of the of the police? Um, so you can put, like, what I want as a player, right? I've had players put, I want uh, flashy anime combat. And I was like, okay, cool. Let's do a, let's do a flashy anime style, um, uh, combat scene. Um, so I, I will take the campaign or I'll have the GMs take the campaign and sort of take what the players want and sort of manipulate that into what they had planned for their camp. Um, and then we use the rest of the document for, uh, setting information and important NPCs, uh, and then session recaps so that the players can check back every week and get a reminder of well, what the heck happened last week. So it kind of becomes a living document of what's happened, uh, kind of where what the start of the game is going to be like yeah. and how that kind of morphs into an actual campaign. And then it kind of contains the notes, at least a light, light level of notes for major events that happened. Yeah. Yep, exactly. Exactly. I really like the um, the movie director question in there, because like you said, it really does change the feel when you switch out different directors as to the setting might be the same, but directors can be very different. 
Right, exactly. And so I feel like, and even if you don't know right away who that director is, you can kind of Google it and be like, okay, well, this is this is the style of movie he makes. Let's see what that's about. Like, I have a, I have a game that I'm playing. Uh, the game is called Vessin, and uh, the easiest way to explain it is that it's kind of like the TV show Supernatural, uh, but set in the 1800s. Um, so you're a group of investigators who are. Um, hunting down monsters, uh, but the only way to vanquish monsters is to research and study, like, how to get rid of them. Like, it might be a spell. It might be, like, you have to burn the bones. Um, and I wrote, uh, for my director, um, oh, man, now my my brain's gonna blank. Uh, the guy who directed, uh, The Conjuring, uh, The Conjuring franchise of movies, um, who is also, he's also the director for, um, Insidious, um, and all those movies. So, like knowing those movies, you kind of get a, a a a an idea of the level of horror that I'm trying to go for. James Wan, that's his name. Um, you get an idea for the level of horror that I'm going for, or the style of horror that I'm going for. That like creeping dread versus like shock value horror. Right, because those are two very different styles of film, yep. and, and would play out differently in terms of the games. Exactly. And, and I feel like that, that's an easy way to be like, okay, this is, this is okay. Now I can, I can better build my character to fit in that kind of movie. Right. Yeah. I, th I think that makes a lot of sense. One other question, if you don't have it, you could throw in there is for the players, what uh, actor would you have play their character? <laughs> we, we have, uh, so <laughs> I used to do face claims. Um, we do them on and off. Um, we have uh, an amazingly talented artist uh, in the community uh, who has done some just off-the-wall uh, fan art. Um, and uh, we often give her uh, face claims for our characters um, so that she can kind of look at that character, look at what we've said our character looks like, and just sort of go off of, of, of her. But um, yeah, I think I, I'm always on the fence about adding face claims to... Uh, to the document uh, because some people love them and some people don't have a um, a person in mind. So now it's like homework that they got to go find someone that looks kind of like their character. Um, so it's it's always that like 50-50 <laughs> kind of deal. Why don't you give us some more information about Unmade Gaming? Sure, yeah, yeah. Um, you can find us uh, everywhere on the internet at Unmade Gaming. Um, uh, I think it's Unmade Gaming Plays at YouTube, but I think if you type in Unmade Gaming, you'll find us. Uh, our Unmade Gaming YouTube is a archive currently uh, of all of our past shows uh, and all of our current shows. We, we put them up on YouTube uh, roughly two to three days after they are live streamed. Um, so we have content dating back from 2017 to now. Uh, we probably have like over a thousand hours of content uh, on there. Um, probably a couple thousand. Um, I'd have to do the math there. But um, yeah, most of our shows are two hours uh some of the older ones are three hours but we have like i said we have uh some cypher system we have some D, D. we have some city of mist we have um a bunch of stuff by free league uh we have a bunch of one shots on there that were for charity from years ago um so we we have uh a, a lot call of cthulhu powered by the apocalypse everything um uh, so if you're looking for actual plays, that is a great place to go and find some. 
Um, we're also live uh, once in a while on Twitch. Uh, we're, we're in a hiatus right this second, but uh, uh, we're, we're planning for 2022 to come back with a big a big explosion of shows. Um, but yeah, so our, our YouTube is probably one of the mainstays of where you can find all of our content, and of course our Discord. We have a pretty we have a pretty booming Discord. Uh, people are chatting about the shows all the time. It's a pretty solid community, uh, and for my six year anniversary uh they they surprised me with a wiki page uh so now we have an unmade gaming wiki that uh people are slowly going back and rewatching the old shows and filling out episode synopsis of all 500 something videos we have on the channel that is really cool yeah i was i was absolutely blown away um, we did a live stream and that the, at the beginning of it, they said, Hey, we need you to, uh, we know you're running production and not actually on the stream today. So at the end of the episode, we need you to pop your face on because we have a surprise for you. And I was like, okay, c- cool. I'll see you guys in three hours. Um, and then I popped on and they blew me away with a, with a super cool wiki page. So, yeah. You did mention that you had like a podcast or something, maybe. Yeah, so we uh, we we have a podcast network. Uh, we had a podcast uh, pre-pandemic uh, called Dark Fortunes. Uh, it was a D&D 5e podcast. Uh, it was set in the world of Humblewood. Uh, we got about 20-something episodes in, um, and that podcast has since ended. You can still go listen to those episodes. They are great. It is incredibly well uh, edited, uh, if I do say so myself. The editor we hired is amazing. Um, and uh, we also have a couple of our more popular uh, actual plays uh, that we ripped the audio off of YouTube and kind of piecemealed it into podcasts. Um, so we have one called um, Void. Uh, it's a Coriolis podcast. And we have one called Atari Twilight, which is a uh, Tales from the Loop podcast. Um, both of those are two of my favorite games we've ever run. Um, and if you want to have a very weird laugh, um, uh, you can check out, I think we have like three episodes. We put out an episode like once every six months, uh, just for fun. Um, it's a podcast called Hot Dice Daddies, uh, where my, me and my friend Joey, we just lean really, really close to the microphone, uh, and talk, uh, very breathily about dice and tabletop games and just what's going on in our lives. Um, but for some reason, people keep listening to it uh, and find it hysterical. So yeah, if you want to, if you want to have a, a weird laugh, go check out that one. That's awesome. I will get links to all of to your channels and and hopefully your podcast as well, and I'll throw them in the show notes for anybody that's listening, so they can get over there a little bit easier. If I could, if I could add one more thing for for the listeners, uh, it's it's get out there and tell good stories, man. Get out there and tell cool stories. At the end of the day, like role playing is a game, but it's a game where we collaborate to tell cool stories. Um, so make sure all of your players are having fun, telling cool stories in uh, a safe manner, and then in- enjoy. Yes, thank you for uh, being on, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Dungeon Master's Toolkit Podcast. You can find links to all of the products and resources that we talked about on the show in the show notes. And if you'd like to join the community or find out how to be on the show, check out our subreddit or join us in our Discord server.